Hello, hello, hello. And it looks like we are live from Denver on this Sunday morning. Welcome to Critical Q&A number 377. We are back. I am back from my vacation. And I'm very, very, very happy to be here with you guys today. I see some of you all here. Thank you very much. Um, Yes, I am very glad that I took some time off too, Vernon. I really needed it. (laughs) Holy cow, did I. Um, Just did not even see how much. Um, You know, it's kind of one of those things that invisibly creeps up on you over time. This thing called burnout. Uh, You know, we've got this big trend right now being talked about in the media about quiet quitting and quiet firing and employment problems and people burnt out with their jobs and their lives and COVID and all of the stress of modern life and everything. And I get it. I really, really do. And I don't um, disagree with these things or ridicule them. These are real ideas that real people are suffering from. And I was one of them. And uh, man, it really, really does suck to not to, to want to do your job, to love the work that you do, but be unable to do it because you have simply done <clears throat> too much of it for too long. <laughs> and um, that was kind of the situation. And so, taking a break from that, getting you know uh, the neurons firing in some other direction for a little while, and just uh, chilling out a bit was. Um, what was what was needed there, and now we can see y'all's comments as we're going. <clears throat> yes, exactly, Nick. People are just tired of being exploited. They really are, and I don't know that all of the foundational structures of our society have yet quite realized that. In other words, corporate HRs and companies and our, even our government, I don't know, totally clue in on the fact that uh, people are sick and tired. And this is worldwide, not just in the United States. It's just most easily expressed here because we have you know, uh, a, a freedom of expression and a willingness to use it. <laughs> and that's not always a great thing in some contexts, but for the most part, it is. For the most part, it's an amazing uh, right that we have uh, in this country. And so people are uh, using it to express that they are sick and tired of all the nonsense. Um, and this is a Q&A show, of course. We are back to answer questions. I am, I am here to answer your questions as you give them to me here in the comment section, so we will get on with that. I did want to say a couple things real fast just in coming back. Uh, not everybody caught the show that we did on Friday, our Critical Conversation show, and that was okay. Uh, we had some technical flubs that uh, didn't uh, made it so we couldn't take any phone calls, which is kind of really stupid and uh, really death for a call-in show. Uh, but I managed to, you know, we, we pounded out a show anyway, and we had some fun. And I hope you all will check that out because we talked about some interesting stuff. And uh, one of those things that I wanted to reiterate here that I'm going to be emphasizing a lot more on my channel and using my channel as sort of a conduit for this is that I not only educate and inform and try to entertain... <laughs> in my silly little way in doing this channel here. But um, I also um, offer consulting services. I am available for consultation. And and I guess we might call this, uh, or part of what I could do might also be considered coaching or life coaching for ex-cult members specifically I'm talking about now. I'm not just talking about anybody. I'm not trying to put myself out there as some authority on how to live life. 
But I do know something about how to help people who are extricated from a destructive cult or, you know, uh, some other coercive situation and help them reacclimate into the real world or get themselves back on their feet or figure things out or what to do, how, to, how should I think about stuff, how should, you know, that kind of thing. There's a lot of work that needs to be done for somebody who comes out of a destructive cult often. It's not just a walk in the park. And the more destructive the cult, the more destructive the, uh, you know, the effects on the person. And I am here as a person who can, for a fee, help people through that process. And I've been doing that kind of work for free for years. And it's very time-consuming and it's very exhausting work. And um, yet it's very, very satisfying. It's incredibly emotionally uh, satisfying to help somebody in their life. So I can do that. I can also consult with people in terms of uh, helping family and friends who are, um, you know, have a loved one in a destructive cult or a coercive situation, and I can help advise as to what to do about that. I have helped in a couple interventions, and I've not run them. I'm not saying that I'm going to go, you know, figure out a full intervention for you, but I will certainly help or advise in how to talk to them, how to help them in, or sorry, how to help them out of those situations, and um, that kind of thing. So I wanted to put that out there. Because it's something I have not talked about really nearly enough in my, in my earlier videos. And I'm going to be talking about that more in the future. Because it's something I do. It's a service I can provide. And it's something that I want to help people with. I really do. But I don't want to keep doing it for hours and hours and hours and hours of, of free service to people. Um, I, I, I can't afford to do that, and I don't think it's actually fair or as valued, the advice that I give or the, the help I'm trying to give. I don't think it's as valued if it's given for free. And so I think it's actually going to be more valuable advice if I charge for it. So on that note, I'm th putting that out there. Um, thank you, Dorte. Uh, Yes, Grant Cardone. Aaron is doing such a amazing uh, breakdown videos on what's going on with Grant Cardone right now and his uh, apparently being investigated by the FBI, and I could not be happier. I, I really don't like that guy. Um, he, he just rubs me the wrong way in, on every metric. He's, he's just such an opportunistic kind of, you know, just take people for a ride and take all their money. And now it's being shown uh, with numbers and uh, spreadsheets and inside information and investiga investigation that he is not necessarily apparently doesn't look like he's been on the up and up all these years. And I uh, look forward to that investigation going forward into, say, an indictments. Uh, that would be great. Uh, but in the meantime, Aaron's breaking that down quite well on his channel. And boy, is uh, Grant not loving life right now. Oh. Boy, that's just a shame. You know, Scientology criminals, you know, there's a thing about criminality in Scientology I'll comment on here really fast since you brought up Grant, and I figured he'd come up today. Um, you know, everybody who gets involved in Scientology, let's be super clear. Uh, from my point of view, everybody who gets involved in Scientology is victimized by Scientology, L. Ron Hubbard's uh, work, his dogma, the culture that was created around that work that, that David Miscavige created and or sort of orchestrates and runs. Um, it's, a, it's a criminal organization. It's a, it's a mafia-like organization. There's a, there's a lot of layers of criminality to Scientology. And people who get involved in it are the unwitting dupes of that. 
However, there is a small number of people who get involved in Scientology and are already criminals or are already criminally minded or are already in a mind space or a headspace where they don't mind bending, breaking laws, rules, regulations, as long as it's in their own best interest. We know this type of person. We've all met this kind of person. Most of us have been burned by this kind of person at one time or another, either personally or professionally. And those people do get involved in Scientology and see in it an opportunity for self-realization and fulfillment and enrichment in the direction of being able to rip off people even better. In, you know, in the direction of being able to take advantage of other people better, that this, this, this tool set of Scientology is not only going to help me be a better person, be a more energized, invigorated, you know, ready-to-rock kind of person, but it's also going to give me an edge over other people, and it's going to allow me to help, it's going to help me take advantage of those people. And those are the Scientology criminals. Those are people who go into criminal enterprises and, and, and operations. And here we're talking about the Reed Slackens of the world, that guy who ran that Ponzi scheme years ago and went to jail for it. We're talking about uh, that GBP capital uh, setup that Jeffrey Augustine has been talking about for years. And they're under federal uh, indictment and in all kinds of trouble. We're talking about uh, Ian Rafalco's dad, um, that chiropractor guy, who, um, you know, is just, just kind of taking advantage of people's ignorance and, uh, and gullibility to rake, you know, rake in millions and millions of dollars giving stupid, bad medical advice. You know, these kind of people, uh, they, they get into Scientology and they use it, you know, to their advantage. And that's how I think about and see Grant Cardone and um, these these types of people that we were just talking about. Uh, Riza Aslam, yeah, exactly. Exactly the kind of person I'm talking about. Um, okay, so let's go ahead now and get on with your questions because uh, we started getting them even before the show started. And uh, I'm going to start the first one here, which is Andy Von Buse sent me a question that says, on your recent interview on the Cult Vault, you mentioned that the RPF is gone, but a replacement apparently exists. Can you expand on that at all? Is this a matter of same shit but different pile? Uh, it is similar, Andy, but different enough that it's a different category of thing. Here's the, here's, it's a good thing. Let me make no bones about this. Be very super clear. Canceling the RPF is a very good thing. The RPF is the Rehabilitation Project Force. It is, uh, or was, a group of individuals within the Sea Organization only, not, not all of Scientology, just in the Sea Org. It was a prison program, a rehabilitation program, set up in order to, quote-unquote, rehabilitate somebody uh, in order to make them, uh, they, they had some sort of fall from grace. They had some sort of big mistake that they made. And maybe that mistake was pissing off David Miscavige. Uh, 
Maybe that mistake was pissing off some other senior executive, but whatever the mistake was, maybe they really did mess up on some important project. Maybe the, you know, maybe the sound went out on a big international event and it was a big embarrassing disaster. Well, that's an error, that's an error of magnitude. That affects the public and public image and that kind of thing. Or maybe the person violated some other rules of the Sea Org, like having sex out of wedlock or uh, taking money or something like like that. So, so what do you do with this person? Well, in the C organization, Hubbard devised a program of rehabilitation uh, where you would do hard physical labor for the majority of your day, and then you were sequestered away from the rest of the group. Uh, the RPF was its own little thing, off in the corner, couldn't talk to anybody else. And this hard physical labor was indeed hard physical labor to the point that the RPF is a or was a labor trafficking problem. That's that's actually what the RPF was. It's a little little labor trafficking deal, and um, uh, that was canceled. We talked about it. We exposed it. We exposed the abuses of it. I talked in at length about the RPF on my channel, uh, and uh, other people have talked about it as well, exposed it broadly, and as a result, they canceled it. That's good. That's a really good thing. But um, all of the tools, all of the mechanisms or, or, or things that they do to you when you're on the RPF, those things still exist in Scientology. Hard physical labor ethics conditions, overt withhold write-ups where you have to write up all your sins and transgressions, security checking, the truth rundown, which is a whole thing. It's, a, it's, a, it's an extreme form of gaslighting. It's, it's gaslighting in a can. It, it, is, it, is, it is concentrated gaslighting. It is all about reforming your memories so that what you think happened to you or was done to you or what you saw did not actually happen and was not actually done to you. And it was actually all your fault from the beginning. That's the truth rundown. And that's been a part of the RPF for many, many years. It's one part of, it's one tool that's used in the tool set of the RPF. Uh, I received the, the truth rundown when I was in Scientology. I delivered it to other people when I was on the RPF. Uh, it, there's also the security checking, which is a normal part of Scientology, but it's intensified on the RPF. I received over a 1,000 hours of security checking on the RPF. I confessed every sin you could imagine, and I made up a bunch because I couldn't confess anymore. And this, of course, also goes into past lives where you're dealing with crimes you've committed in the past millions and billions and trillions of years ago, blowing up planets, committing you know, genocide, things like that, big, big crimes that you would uh, imagine you had committed. So you also have sort of this whole false memory thing being you know, going on with all the enforcement of past lives. So the RPF is a really unsavory thing, but all of those things that made up the RPF are still in Scientology, and not only are they there, but they can be used on Sea Org members at any time in any random way they want to be used. And so what we now have is something called, and it's been around all this time, but now they're using this rather than the RPF, and this being this thing called the Category B EPF 
we go from RPF to EPF. And I hope I'm explaining this all well. Um, this Again, this is all Sea Org, uh, this, the, the, the billion-year contract people. So the EPF is the estates project force. And that's boot camp for the Sea Org. If you go into the Sea Org, you're going to go through this EPF program. It's hard physical labor, but not nearly as hard as what the RPF is about. And it's five hours a day of study of basic Sea Org references and issues and lectures so that you learn to be a good little Sea Org member. That's the whole point of the EPF. Category B EPF is if you're already a Sea Org member, you've already gone through the EPF, you've already been on a, on a post doing work, but you're found unutilized. They, they, they don't, they, you're not doing your job or somehow you want to leave. You don't want to be in the Sea Org anymore. Well, now you're going to go do a review or a retrain of your EPF. And that's called the Category B EPF. Okay, so your regular new recruits are Category A. Your returns, your reviews are Category B. And when you go to a Category B EPF, your custom program is written for you. You don't just go in with all the other people and redo all the courses from scratch and that's it. A custom program gets written and anything can be put on that custom program, including a truth rundown, right? Security checking, OWs, uh, hard physical labor, which is part of that anyway, um, you know, but more physical labor. Uh, all kinds of individually tailored study assignments can be put onto a Category B EPF. Now, normally speaking, a Cat B EPF is uh, a few weeks, a few months, and, um, and it's not a walk in the park, but it's not like the RPF classically speaking, until now. Now they can make the category EP, B, EPF whatever they want it to and uh, whatever they want it to be. And so you can be run through an even worse program than the RPF through this category B EPF. And that's what I was referring to, Andy, in my answer on the cult vault. So hope that encapsulates everything there. Feel free to ask me any other questions about my answer there. And let's go back through the comments here and see what other questions we have. Okay, Vernon asks, when you were in Scientology, were you friends with Mike Rinder's children? I was not. I didn't even know them, didn't know he even had kids. I learned all about Mike after I got out of Scientology. My only experience of Mike Rinder while I was in was that he was a senior executive who spoke at international events. I would see him from afar. Uh, and one time in a meeting... Uh, he led a meeting that I was in, in the conference room on the second floor of the CLO building in, in uh, the Big Blue. And he was down there to kick ass and take names, and he was in kick ass and take names mode, along with a lot of other senior, senior executives of Scientology who were in that room, Norman Starkey, a bunch of other people. And, um, and he was not directing anything to me personally there, I think, but, um, but he, was, he was dressing all of us down. And that was, that was really my only experience of Mike in the Sea Org. After I got out of the Sea Org, I reached out to him, and we've had a very different relationship than that, <laughs> much better one. So uh, there you go. Hey, Sweden. Hey, Scotland. Um, all right, going back through the comments here. Xion, did you ever think that you would get that much time off when you were in the Sea Org? No, 
No, definitely not. Taking a month off in the Sea Org was absolutely ridiculous. I never would have been able to accomplish that. I was never able to take longer than about two or three. I think the longest time stretch I ever had off at one point was three days um, to go up to see my mom. Uh, that's what I remember, I think, is the longest stretch. And my honeymoon, my, my wedding when I got married, I think we had a weekend off. We had two days off. Yeah. Okay. So there's that. Um, Vernon asks, um, do you think that Scientology will fair game the judge who is overseeing the trial of Danny Masterson? Okay, um, good question, Vernon. There are actually two trials. Let's keep that in mind. There's a civil case and there is a criminal case. And I think, of course, you're probably referring to uh, Judge, I think her name is Judge Alamito. Uh, who is the judge over the criminal case. And no, I do not think Scientology is going to try to fair game her, at least not in any obvious way. Have they investigated her? Have they investigated her connections? Do they know everything about her and her life? You bet they do. You bet they do. How they're going to use that information, um, I don't know. Uh, It's very, very hard to say or predict such things. But it seems to me that every single particle of anybody's common sense, including David Miscavige's, would be leave the judge alone. This is a judge who appears to be somewhat savvy when it comes to Scientology. At least she's paying attention to Scientology. She is understanding Scientology's tactics. And I think if she were detect, to detect in her personal life that Scientology was somehow messing with it, uh, I don't think that she would show any mercy. And uh, that might be kind of interesting to watch, but we really don't want to see a judge being fair-gamed. That is never uh, a, a good thing. And it's, uh, being, being fair-gamed, of course, by Scientology means that you are being targeted by Scientology and that they are harassing you uh, both covertly and overtly. So they can sometimes come at you and you know it's coming, but often the fair game is extremely underhanded and you can't tell where it's coming from or who's doing it or what's going on. Um, it's a dangerous thing to do and it's dynamite to do when you're talking about doing it to a judge. Um, so, you know, are they capable of doing it though? Yeah, absolutely. Of course they are. And could they? Yes. David Miscavige could be dumb enough to try to do something like that. Uh, I don't think this judge is somebody who, uh, you know, could be easily intimidated. But let's be real. Everybody has a line and everybody can be intimidated to silence one way or another. Um, You know, if you leverage emotional needs against them, then they will fold. That's what people do. Um, It's, you know, it's it's just kind of how humans work. So, you know, so they could do it. Uh, I kind of hope they don't. I'd like to see the trial uh, run fairly, not fair gamely, uh, but I guess we'll see what happens. Um, okay, going on here. You guys are great. Thank you very much. I missed all of you guys, and thank you very much for all of your well wishes. I have been getting so many, so many. In fact, I wanted to actually take a moment out here. I wanted to do this at the beginning of the show. 
Um, I want to really want to thank you guys. I really, really do. Um, I, I've, I'm always, you know, kind of effusive about this, and the, today is no different. You guys are the backbone of, of, of me doing all this work, and your well wishes and good comments and positivity have really enabled me to do this vacation and come back stronger and better and, you know, kind of on fire to, to get some things done now. Um, and I, I just can't, I, I can't tell you how much I appreciate that. It's really great. Um, okay, Bert. Uh, no, I don't need a test caller. Thank you. I, we, we are capable of doing testing on the call in show. I just didn't do it. And we're suspecting that Mel might have hit the do not disturb and do not call buttons or something. And that might've been what messed up. We'll figure it out, but we're definitely going to figure it out this week so that next week's call in show is not a disaster. Um, have you thought, Nick asks, have you thought of doing an interview with the channel called Growing Up Scientology? Are you referring, uh, Nick, to Aaron Smith-Levin? Because he and I have done many videos together interviewing each other. So that's already been done. And, um, and, and, and when the opportunities present themselves and it seems like the right thing to do, Aaron and I have no problem getting together and, and producing videos. So, um, so, yeah, I have thought about that and we've done it. Uh, and I really recommend, by the way, I really, I wish YouTube had a better system of organizing videos because I have produced so many videos and I know it's a little bit of a chore going through them all to try to find stuff. And I wish there was an easier way. I've tried so hard to put playlists together of content and group it so that you guys can more easily find my stuff. But I really encourage you to spend some time looking through my entire catalog on YouTube on my on my page because there's a lot for you. There's so much for you between my podcast, my earlier Q&A shows, and the, the I don't know, hundreds of videos breaking down Scientology and all of its techniques and all of the crap that destructive cults in general do. So, so anyway, just encouraging you to, uh, to do that. Um, oh, here's an interesting question. Dorte, um, what was the biggest culture clash that you experienced in your post-Scientology life? Oversharing uh, was probably the thing that took the longest for me to kind of overcome. It was my sort of compulsive need to tell everybody about everything in my life. And, of course, that kind of helped drive my channel <laughs> <laughs> so maybe it wasn't awful that that was happening because I overshared with all you guys, but really learning to to taper it back, to bring it, you know, to kind of, whoa, 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 bring down the levels a little bit there. You don't have to talk about every single random thought and idea and constant, you know, uh, computation that you made, and you don't have to share every opinion you have, and sometimes it's best not to. You know, uh, kind of learning a little humility, a little, um, a little. Uh, I'm thinking right now. What What are the words that are that are anti arrogance, anti conceit? You know, uh, a, 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 dialing down the ego. Um, it took a long time, you know, uh, to to recognize the problems were there. That, that you know, I, I recognized right away coming out of Scientology that narcissism was part of the package. And that, that Scientology actually kind of helps create a kind of narcissism or a kind of egotism might be a better word for it. And, um, 
And yet you can recognize a problem. That doesn't mean you solve the problem at all. And, um, and that, that just took a long time to kind of get over and get, kind of get over myself, get over the fact that I'm somebody special because I'm not, or that my opinions matter more than anybody else's. They don't, you know. Um, when it comes to things I'm trained in, I like to think that I have some authority, but otherwise I'm just some other guy. But that's not how I used to think. And so it took a long time to get over that. And I know I pissed off a lot of people in the process. And at the same time, you know, all you have to do is share an opinion and you'll piss some some people off. So it's not like my pissing off days are over. But I think that pissing people off because of my arrogance, I hope those days are over or at least, you know, mostly over. Um, That was, to me, one of the hardest challenges I had was changing that part of myself. Uh, Xion, have you thought about giving talks to groups of people? You bet I have. I have done some public speaking um, over the years. I've, I've posted on my blog. Uh, there's a page that has a bunch of my public speaking videos, and I do intend on doing a lot more of that. And one of the things I want to look into, and I'm kind of at square negative two on it, is um, how do I go about doing lecturing at local colleges, maybe in the religious studies or psych departments, they might have some use for me as a uh, cult authority or coercive control authority um, to do some lecturing to the students there. So that's something I'm interested in doing and I'm going to be looking into. Uh, All right. Let's see here. Moving right along. Um, Yes, Adam Richards. I definitely do plan on having Rinder on my podcast to talk about his book. Uh, I did ask him if he would do that. He did say he would. So I know he's going to be doing a lot of major media, a lot. So you'll probably be hearing a lot from him on those lines. But I am going to try to wrangle him into my little show as well. Um, Okay, ex-Cyan. Is it possible for someone to do Scientology services without being victimized? Um. I'm going to say no, and the reason that I'm going to say no is because the victimization is part of the dogma of Scientology. You are taught, you are indoctrinated into certain ways of thinking about yourself and about other people and the way the mind and life work that are wrong, and they are so wrong that when you take these principles and use them in life, you end up victimizing people. Let me give you a simple example. Scientology's dogma states in their services that you can take that children are adults in little bodies, that children are just little, that that they are immortal spiritual entities, ageless, timeless, full of wisdom and experience, but they just happen to be in a new body and they're growing the body, but the spirit is an old man or old woman or whatever, an an old soul. And if you treat a kid that way, If you would make assumptions like that about a child, that they know things that they don't know, that they've experienced things they've never experienced, and that you can talk to them and treat them as though they have, you are opening the door to such gross, heinous levels of child abuse. I I can't even easily describe it, not not to mention the sexual abuse that happens as a result of that. Training 10, 11, 12, 13-year-olds in security checking and having them go and sec check, be a confessor 
to a 40-year-old man or woman who is telling them all about their sexual proclivities. No 12-year-old should ever be sitting in a room being the confessor to a 40-year-old man telling them about their masturbatory fantasies or about their sexual crimes. Yet Scientology thinks that that is normal, average, everyday behavior. That's par for the course. That kid is not a kid. He's an adult in a little body. That kind of thinking is what develops from the services of Scientology. It's, it's inherently destructive. Everything about it is wrong and bad for you. And that's why we call it a destructive cult. Destructive cults, I want to be clear that it, destructive cults are not an interpretation. When we look at the characteristics of a destructive cult and we look at a group, we're looking at it from the point of view of this group can't help itself but be destructive. It doesn't have anything, it, well, it does have to do with the intentions and goals and objectives of the membership, but it's not just how they interpret the information, it's inherent in the information and the practices and the techniques and the rituals. Not just Scientology, any group, okay? Nexium would be bad for you whether Keith Raniere was running it or not because the materials themselves are destructive. Same with Scientology, same with all these other destructive cults. So, uh, so, so my answer is no, it's not possible to do Scientology services without eventually being victimized or victimizing others in some fashion. Uh, okay, what's the job market like in Denver? I, I, apparently, um, since you're asking, Nick, uh, I read yesterday that there are two jobs available for every um, uh, individual looking for a job. I think it's, a, I, I, if I have the numbers right, then um, job market's really good in Denver right now. <laughs> okay, um, yes, exactly. All right. How many planets did I exterminate? Gnome Sane asks me. Um, I remember three. <laughs> it's true. I confess to it, so it must be true, right? Uh, let's see here. Um, Vernon asks, uh, does Scientology fair game ex-members for the rest of their lives? Uh, they can. They have. Uh, they don't always. It depends on the motives and the intentions and, and, and the goal of the fair gaming. If they can get a person fair gamed so that they shut up and stop talking, then they're done. They don't have to keep fair gaming them. If they are trying to fair game somebody until they commit suicide or something, then they might keep going until they you know commit suicide. They tried that with Paulette Cooper back in the 70s. Um, so I guess it depends on the goal and the context of the situation as to how long the fair gaming goes on and at what level does it go on. Um, you know, I mean, I've been fair gamed all this time, but it, but the fair gaming is such such kid glove fair gaming that it, it doesn't really affect my daily life, and I'm and I'm okay with that. You know, I get bad nasty comments on my blogs, and you know, I get a website, you know, a hate website and stuff like that. But stuff that anybody can really see through is kind of silly, so it hasn't really hurt me. Um, you know, now, Mike Rinder, Leah uh, Remini, um, you know, people like that, Tony Ortega, they get fair gamed constantly, 
to this day, right? The poor victims of Danny Masterson, the, the women who are bringing charges against him, are constantly being fair-gamed. That's what their whole civil suit is about. There's the criminal case, but then there's also a civil suit that they have filed trying to get Scientology to stop harassing them. And that's all caught up in, guess what? Scientology's continued harassment. Scientology uses the civil court system to harass and fair game ex-members and people they don't like. And the courts go along with it because it's systemic. It's, it's built into the court system to be used by groups of people like Scientology who have unlimited legal funds and lawyers at the beck and call who have no moral compass of any kind and will just sell their services to the highest bidder. And that's what Scientology takes advantage of and, uh, and utilizes. And the judges in the civil cases that Scientology has, has had have gone along with Scientology's nonsense because they're idiots. They're just fucking idiots. And uh, yes, I am talking about the judges in Florida, California, who, uh, you know, the Headley case, the Garcia case, the current case with Valeska Gawain and, and those guys... Um, those judges, you know, are morons, and they just, they, they're unwitting tools, would be a more accurate phrase, actually. I can call, I can insult their intelligence, but the, the, it's not about their intelligence, really. It's about the fact that they're willing to be tools for Scientology, and they are willing to allow Scientology to utilize them and their courtroom to further Scientology's ends. That's being a tool, and that's what those judges are. And it's very, very, very frustrating, as you can see. I continue to be frustrated, as do all of you, I am sure, watching the shenanigans play out. That's, that's what happens. And when you have enough money and enough immoral, amoral, asshole lawyers, right, who are willing to you know, say anything and do anything necessary for uh you know their paycheck then that's what you get and that's our justice system on its you know turned on its side and it's really sad that the judges in those cases uh do uh, are ignorant enough or gullible enough or overworked enough or all of the above that they act like scientology tools but there you go it is what it is all right, and that's my rant about that. Um, let's see what else we got here. You guys have got great questions coming in here. Thank you. Please keep them coming. And uh, I'm going on at a mad rate. I, is it hard to understand me, by the way? Am I talking too fast? Because I know I talk awful fast. And maybe I should try to slow down. You, you, I don't know. Let me know in the comments. I talk quite fast because I want to give you guys the most answers in the shortest amount of time that I can. But maybe I should slow down. I don't know. Somebody suggested that I, I'm, I'm not able, uh, is easily heard, and I've been wondering about that since I heard that. Uh -huh. Okay. Um. There we go. Do, do, do. Oh, Anthony asks, have you thought of interviewing Doug Kramer? 
I have thought about it. Um, I'm not sure uh, how to reach him, or I haven't reached out in that direction yet. I wanted to watch a few, a little bit more of the interviews that he's done, but I was, uh, I was thinking about reaching out to him, yeah. Um, oh, thank you very much, Xion, for that wonderful comment. Um, oh, no, Nick, there are a lot of videos of me and Aaron. I, you, you've never seen a video of me and Aaron. Look on my channel. That's what I'm saying. It's in my library. It's there. Uh, and it's not just one. Aaron and I have done a few videos together. We've done Zoom chats. We did an in You came out to Denver. We talked in person. We've done a few videos together. You can definitely find them. And there are also, a couple of them are also on his channel. Um, yeah, there are many. Okay. Um, yes, Lorraine, you caught us live. Yay. All right. Um, oh, Vernon, yes. Okay, Vernon asks, did your parents spend a lot of money on their Scientology life? Yes, they did. They spent an awful lot of money on it. Excuse me. Um, Scientology costs, and it costs a lot. And if you want to go up to the OT levels, which both of my parents did before they got out, my mom got up to OT level 5, and my dad completed OT level 7. So they went all the way, you know, pretty much all the way to the top or pretty much near it, and uh, they spent hundreds of thousands of dollars on Scientology over the years that they were involved. So, yeah. Yeah. Um. Yes, Dortade, my big, uh, my big John DeLynn interview. Yes, that's on my channel as well. My, my total story told in as much detail as I could tell it. Uh, it took a long time to do that. Uh, but uh, yeah, I hope you guys will check that out. That, that was, that's the whole thing, the whole, sh the whole shebang. I did a big, long talk about my own experiences in life in Scientology, and I did another talk with John DeLynn about... Um, the history of Dianetics and Scientology from the beginning all the way through Miscavige, everything. And um, both of those are on my homepage on my channel. Okay. Um, no, Rinder has not sent me a copy of his book. Okay. Um, Anthony asks... Uh, across the city, I live in Irving, Texas. There are many signs promoting Scientology, and the Dallas area org is in Irving. Would the city council listen to you and others? Anthony, I have no idea. If the Irving or um, uh, Dallas city council is anything like the Clearwater city council, then probably not. But if they are open and receptive to hearing about destructive cults and what they're about and why Scientology is a destructive cult and shouldn't be supported, then they should get that information. Um, but I don't know. I don't know anything about that city council. Um, so I don't know if they would listen to us or not or if it would be worth the time. Um, <laughs> Vernon, good question. How did L. Ron Hubbard's parents feel about their son creating a religion? They didn't like it. Uh, I don't think L. Ron Hubbard's parents were really on Hubbard's side when it came to his later life uh, escapades and, and uh, exploits of other people. I think they saw exactly what he was up to. But that's conjecture on my part. I really don't know. And I don't know anybody who does 
what his relationship with his parents was like in his later life. How L. Ron Hubbard was a loved child, but he was also a very free spirit, you could say, as a kid. And he was an only child, and he was a uh, teller of tall tales from an early age. And I think he lived in his own little fantasy world from the get-go. He had a loving, caring, supporting family situation. He had his immediate family and his extended family in his grandfather, his aunts and uncles, as well as his parents. And he was a well-traveled child. He was a worldly child. But he wasn't a very smart kid, and he really didn't do good when it came to uh, education. He was really, really bad at, at tying himself down and just sitting and learning things. He would rather make stuff up. And I think the way he saw it, that was just as good as the truth. You know, the, the truths he could make up were as good as the truths that he could learn. And, um, and that's kind of how he navigated his life. His parents, his father was a, was a staunch uh, Navy man, uh, and his mother was classic, you know, sort of Midwestern uh, wife. And, um, and I don't know what they thought about, uh, about his uh, endless numbers of wives and his lies and his nonsense, but they probably weren't very impressed. Um, I, didn't, I don't get the idea that his parents were, were, were pushovers or idiots. I think they saw exactly what he was about, especially because they were up in Washington State where his second, or sorry, his first wife and kids were. And they watched as he abandoned his family. So I don't think they had a lot of respect for him in his older days. But again, I don't know. Just my conjecture. Okay, so there you go on that. Um, oh, gosh, yes, absolutely. Xion asks, do you know of any times where someone wrote a knowledge report and totally lied? Are there any consequences for submitting a false report? Okay, so this is, you're referring here to the Scientology reporting system, the snitch culture of Scientology. Um, Scientologists report on one another in writing to an ethics authority who is called an ethics officer, or in the Sea Org, they are called a master at arms or an MAA. And these ethics authorities receive hundreds of reports, uh, you know, depending on the size of the organization. Of course, it could be a lot fewer than that. But um, in any Scientology area, you're going to have this ethics section where people are writing reports on one another over things that they think that other Scientologist is doing wrong or bad or, or screwed up some fa in some fashion or another. And those reports are called knowledge reports or KRs for short. I got a KR written on me today, you know, is how you might hear about this. Or I wrote a KR on him or I KR'd him. It also becomes a verb. I KR'd him, right? Or her. Um, so when you write a knowledge report, it is assumed you are telling the truth. But if you false report in a knowledge report or in any other location or area, you can have what's called a false report report written on you where you are accused of falsely reporting, lying. And that can happen, and it happens all the time. And then the ethics officer has to pull in both parties and wrangle out the truth and figure it out. 
And it's on them to figure it out, and maybe they get it right, and maybe they get it wrong. Um, but they can certainly try to sort things out. And that is, and that could lead to security checking or metered ethics interviews or all kinds of stuff to try to ferret out the truth of the situation. Depended, in my experience, it depended an awful lot on who was saying what because personalities drive an awful lot of Scientology. And if you're a big whale, for example, who's contributed an awful lot of money to Scientology, then your words will be considered in a better light than some schmo who's just hanging around the org, doing low-level services, isn't contributing a lot, doesn't come to events. We're not going to pay as much attention to that guy as we are the big contributor. Okay, so it's weighted against, you know, there are scales that are weighted against you in Scientology depending on how active and enthusiastic you are considered as a group member. Uh, so that can be a factor, you know, reputational factor, in other words, can play a big part in whether you're believed or not in your reporting. Uh, it's not supposed to be that way. The system wasn't designed that way. Uh, it doesn't have to be run that way, but the culture of Scientology kind of dictates that it be, be run that way. So there you go. All right, uh, moving right along here. Vernon asks, do you think that the Denver org knows where I live? Um, I, d I don't know. I don't think so. I've never received any harassment that I'm aware of by the local organization here in Denver. I don't harass them, and they don't harass me as far as I know. You know, if, they, if they're following me around or they're going through my trash or something like that, they're doing it very, very successfully, covertly. And I don't think they are. Uh, so I don't think they know where I live. I don't think the local org pays any attention to me. And I'm okay with that. I'm not, I'm not here to antagonize the local Scientologists. That's not my role. And so, um, so I don't push around on them and they don't push around on me, I guess. Um, Okay, let's see what else we've got here. Um, oh, my speed is perfect. Thank you, uh, NBGSTV. <laughs> Sometimes you see these names of people and you're like, what the hell does that mean? NBGSTV? What? What? Anyway, thank you for your comment on that, on my talking speed. Uh, we can always play back the video at 0.5 speed. That's hilarious, guys. Okay, good. Speed's fine. All right. Thank you, guys. Um, okay. Oh, here we go. Xion. The Church of QAnon. Will conspiracy theories form the basis of a new religious movement? Um, well, Flat Earth is mostly a religious movement. QAnon could absolutely be compared to a religious movement in so many ways. There's a, there's a difficult line in the sand. Let me actually answer this question very seriously for a moment, okay? Uh, kind of academically. The term religious has double meaning here. Some people use the term religious to mean fervent, 
as though people were in an extreme religious environment kind of religion. And then there's religious as in actual religious practice and performance and belief and dogma. Um, They're not the same definition. And so... I in use in in answering this question, I have to kind of answer. I, I can answer it in one of two ways. Do we see actual, real religious activity built up around conspiracy theories? No, we don't. What we do see is extremist, culty religious activity that is as though it's a you know fervent religion a cult, we see that kind of thing build up around conspiracy theories. So you have Flat Earth, for example, which when you, get, when you pursue Flat Earth down to the core beliefs and the, and the bottom of the well of where does that belief set go, you end up in Christian fundamentalism uh, of an extreme nature, right? Lucifer is is the the dark one is deceiving everybody, and it's really Satan at the bottom of it. And and the 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 whole fight, the whole struggle and conflict of flat Earth, ultimately is the struggle between God and the deceiver, the great deceiver. And that's what that that if you follow that that trail of information all the way down to where it goes. That's where it ends up. You also get a lot of 9-11 truthers and a lot of other nonsense mixed up into Flat Earth. Uh, It's kind of, uh, before QAnon came along, it was kind of the mother of all conspiracy theories. But um, now QAnon's sort of taken over that role. But QAnon is a fractured movement. It's not one monolithic thing. There are lots and lots of flavors of QAnon now. It's already busted up into different groups and activities. So um, so would we see a cult of QAnon that took on a religious flavor? Well, we already have in some ways, right? We have doomsday cult QAnon, like the, the negative 48 guy down in, uh, down in, in uh, Texas, which is sort of preaching kind of weird end-of-day stuff. Or you have um, the QAnon flavors of the, the pedophiles and the Democrats, and it's the whole anti, you know, very ideologically driven QAnon, uh, which is kind of how it formed up and started in the first place. And it just went, you know, kind of wacko from the, from the very beginning. So uh, will we see, you know, culty, you know, religious activity in these in these QAnon groups absolutely we already have we already do and um had a long talk on a podcast before I took my um, break with uh, John P capitalist about this very thing so I encourage you to check that out uh as well and my other podcasts on on QAnon okay hope that answers that question Xion. um and if any of my answers leave you with more questions or anything, of course, feel free to keep asking me. That's what—that's the whole point of this. Oh, my God. It's already 11.54. Wow, this hour has flown by. Let us, uh, let us keep going here, see if we can wrap this up. Um, Chris Shelton, what do you know about Arthur Hubbard? He has a website, and he's spoken a little bit about Scientology. I know this much about Arthur Hubbard speaking out against uh, L. Ron Hubbard. I'll have to look into that. I think I have a passing familiarity with that, but um, I'm not, not, none of it's really coming to mind right away, so I'll have to check that out. Um, 
no gnome saint uh gnome sane uh you would not write a kr on a body thetan no um all right are the orgs still being cleaned fanatically yes i believe they are Although they have now opened up services, so they are now delivering all of their services again. But I'm pretty sure they're still doing their cleaning. Um, oh, NBGSTV, am I ignoring your question? I don't think so. I thought I answered it uh, earlier. If not, repeat it now because I don't see it here. Oh, John Atak. Oh, yes, yes, yes. Um uh, you have a question about a convo with ATAC, whom I respect a lot. He said Jewish men's ringlets are from 18th century. It's in the Bible. Ashkenazim being Karazaj, highly controversial. He presented both as actual facts. I, I, I have no idea what you're talking about at all. So I, I'm sorry if I ignored that. I, um, I just didn't understand the question. I don't know what you're asking me, um, but I don't know anything about Jewish lore. I mean, what I know about Jewish lore, I could fit into a thimble. I mean, I really don't know a whole lot. So I'm not sure what your question is there on that. But feel free to, um, to ask me uh, in these last few minutes here. Yeah, you should ask John. Because that, cause, cause you're asking me about something he said about Jewish lore that I don't know how to answer. Okay, cool. Thank you for that. Um, Okay, good. Yes. So now I'm now I'm at the end of the line on the questions. Um, I should be clear he hasn't spoken out against. He just isn't in. Okay, fair enough. Um, my thoughts on She-Hulk? I have not watched it. Um, I understand it's a comedy. I'm kind of burnt on the MCU at this point. I the last one, the last thing I watched coming out of Marvel was the. Um, uh, Doctor Strange and the multitude of mad multi-universe of madness, and I it was okay, but I'm kind of it, it's it, it's become kind of formulaic for me, and I am not interested so much anymore. I kind of peaked at Iron Man and the Avengers, and when Tony Stark died, I kind of did too a little bit, to be honest. Uh, Character-wise, that was the character that really kept me involved in the MCU was was Iron Man. Um, I, I don't know why. I just really like Iron Man. Um, and so I kind of lost interest after that. And so She-Hulk has not been at the top of my list for that. Um, okay. That about them. Okay, fair enough. Thanks, Anthony, for clarifying on uh, on Hubbard there. And... Um, oh, wow. Oh, I definitely need to check this out. Jane makes a comment here. Mark Bunker is causing fireworks on the city council. This is Clearwater City Council. Gave the mayor some home truths and ended up with mayor offering to take it outside. What? Would be great to get him back on. Absolutely. I'm definitely going to reach out to Mark on this. This is awesome. Uh, I definitely want to find out all about that, Jane. Thanks for bringing that to my attention. Okay, Vernon, you have been a wonderful questioner this uh, episode. Thank you very much for your inquisitiveness. You asked, when will you go to the UK? When I can afford to. 
<laughs> basically. Uh, I'd love to go to the UK. In fact, I really wanted to in order to go to John Atak's wedding. He got married recently, and I really wanted to go. And I was not able to because I just can't afford to. Going to the UK is expensive. And uh, if somebody, you know, uh, wants to sponsor me to go over there and give some talks or something, I'd be more than happy to go over there and do some public speaking and, um, and you know, get over there that way. But otherwise, I don't have any plans on going over to the UK. Um, and yes, Bert, the boys has ruined all other franchises as it is so good. You are not far off on that. The boys is actually quite a good show. Very good satire. Um, and I would love to see more of it. I have to say though, that I was extremely, and you don't have to agree with me on this at all. This is totally art and opinion. But I really did not like the resolution of the last season of The Boys. I thought they copped out huge. After an incredible season, building up these characters, building up this climactic battle, and then to wimp out at the end and basically hit the reset button and everything's back to where it was, not cool with me. Not cool at all. I really did not like that. And it all was in the last episode. Everything up to that was, you know, kind of okay, kind of good. And then they, then they blew it. But I'll tell you what I loved about the boys, and I mean loved, even now, uh, wide-eyed adoration for them, was their Scientology storyline with the Deep and getting involved in a Scientology-like cult. And they nailed it. Man, did they nail it. And they took two seasons to, to play that whole little subplot out. And I thought they did great with it. So, um, so we'll see... Uh, We'll see where they go with that. I hope I haven't spoiled anything, Bert. Uh, I, you know, but I, I was not satisfied with that conclusion. But up until then, oh, so good. Um, okay, Vernon, thank you are very welcome, uh, and thank you for tuning in and asking me so many questions. Um, yeah, yeah, Cobra Kai has been a very interesting show. I can't wait. One of the things I'll tell you guys that I think I've alluded to before, and I definitely do look forward to this, is I'm going to be doing a whole series. I got so much content waiting to roll out um, on cults in entertainment. And Cobra Kai is near the top of the list of shows I want to actually break down for you guys. And that part of the boys with the Scientology subplot, I want to break that down and a whole bunch of other stuff where we see destructive cult behavior in entertaining shows, in entertainment and media. And, um, and I have a whole series of stuff planned on that. So I think that's going to be uh, a lot of fun to do that. Um, okay, guys. So all that being said, I think we'll wrap up the show for this week. This was a great return. And I am very happy to be back, uh, and you will see continuing content, as well as my Critical Conversations channel, or sorry, Critical Clips channel. That channel will also be picking up starting tomorrow. I will be putting content there from all of the library of my earlier content. So if you're not subscribed to Critical Clips, I encourage you to do so. You can look that up. It's uh, linked at the homepage of my channel. And of course, I will encourage you to like and subscribe uh, to my channel uh, if you have not already done so. And please, please do share uh, the work that I do because it's the only way I know how to get the work more broadly out there is I need your help as my critics. You guys are my critics. 
And I need your help to uh, popularize my work and get it out there into more in front of more people's eyes and ears. All right, you guys have a great day, and um, and I will see you on Friday. We will do our next live show, and uh, and I hope you guys checked out my podcast with John yesterday because um, we had a lot of fun breaking down the myths and uh, inconsistencies surrounding narcissism. And we got into a lot of other topics as well. All right, guys, I'll see you next week. Bye-bye.